Bibles, if you would, this morning, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 this morning, as we are continuing to preach on the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Acts chapter 20 in verse 17 this morning. Acts 20, verse 17. Of course, this is Luke writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. Luke chapter, excuse me, Acts, Luke chapter. Acts chapter 20 in verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came unto Asia, after that, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And, I ha- and now, behold, I go in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, said that the Holy Ghost witnessed in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take to, to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the grace of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Father, thank you for your precious word, for these wonderful words we read that were uttered oh, thousands of years ago now, but important as they were when they left the lips of Paul, they are as they are today, as we think about the importance of the church, the importance of care of the church, the importance of unity of the church, the importance of service in the church, the importance of evangelism in the church, discipleship. Oh, there's so much that goes into a church, a body of believers who come under the banner of the cross, believing in his holy name, worshiping his name, trusting his name and his good works. And Father, Lord, we come to you needy this morning, recognizing that without you we can do nothing, we have nothing. So I pray, Lord, that you just bless not just the reading of your word as we've read it, but the hearing of it. Lord, give ears to hear and understanding. Thank you for all that you've done for us thus far and what we anticipate in the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the life of Saul of Tarsus as he first was named. His name, of course, was changed to Paul the Apostle after his salvation. 
looked at the first part, of course, is his, is his salvation. That's where it all begins. And that's why I've already emphasized in the service a few times the need. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you've never been saved. You don't even know what that word means. It means, what does it mean to be saved? If you don't know what the word saved, it means you probably need to be saved. <laughs> if I didn't know what fishing meant, I would hope somebody would teach me out, Brother Travis, and take me fishing. If I never, if I've never caught a grouper, I hope somebody takes me, teach me first time and take me to catch a grouper or some reds. I better stop that. I'll go on. But I'd want somebody to teach me if I didn't know what I was doing. I, if, somebody, if you're here today and say, preacher, I don't know what being saved means. They're dear friend, you need to be saved. Because that's how it all begins. Jesus said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. It's birth. It's spiritual birth. That's where it all begins. And if you're not sure, if you, someone is to come to you privately this morning and say, tell me how you know for sure if you die the day you'd get to heaven. And you have no idea what that person is saying. Dear friend, you, know, you need salvation. For salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It's through Jesus Christ alone. It's by Jesus Christ alone. It's not by showing up today. If you came to church today thinking by showing up at this Baptist church that you walk away, you're on your way to heaven, somebody's told you wrong because that's not how it is. This is Paul, Saul the of Tarsus. He believed by being uh, a religious person, by being a Pharisee, and having much knowledge, but the problem is he had wrong knowledge. You can have a whole lot of things up here but still be wrong. Amen? You can have a whole lot of knowledge. You can have a whole lot of education. But just because you know a lot, means you're not, it doesn't mean you're not going down the wrong road. Paul was going, Saul was going down the wrong road because he was taught that salvation was about what you do. Salvation is not about what you do. It's not about, salvation is about who you know. And so he didn't know Jesus Christ. And on that road to Damascus, as we looked at, he was gloriously saved. But he didn't just stop there. He began to be sanctified. He began to grow in the grace of knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know some of these ladies are going to, have a, going to be having a child here in the next several months or nine months or whenever it is. But the, when a baby is born, it doesn't stay there on the table and say, okay, that's it. There's a, that's a process after that, right? And that process is till death do you part, mom and dad. You know it well. It ain't just turn to 18 or 21. It's as long as you shall live. Your parents ought to just jump up and say, hallelujah, that's true, preacher, it's true. Some of you got 40-year-olds you're still taking and going, 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds you're still taking. You're still mommying 50s and 60-year-olds, some of you. It's till the end. It's till the end. It's till the end. Maybe not hopefully the same as it was at the beginning, but it's still to the end. And so there's this process that he was going through of learning. And for three years he spent time in Arabia learning from Jesus himself, if you look in the book of Galatians. So there was a time of salvation, that's a one-time event. There was a time of sanctification, that's a process of growth. And every one of us in this morning sitting here in these chairs are in the process of sanctification, meaning you're growing. How do you, how, how do, how do you know if you're growing? Are you feeding? Did you eat something this morning? Are you planning to eat in about 35, 40 minutes if this preacher will finally be quiet and let you go out the doors? Are you going to eat? Are you, going to, are, you going to get, are you going to get some substance into you and, 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 and enjoy that? Then you're growing. You're growing. And dear friend, as a Christian, how do you grow? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. That's how you grow. 
You grow by reading the Word and praying and being here. It's like a smorgasbord of, of, of information from the Word of God, and that helps you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't just stop with, 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 with the salvation part and, and the growing part. He actually wanted to serve. And I found that any true born-again person, there may, there's a time of salvation, that's a one-time event, and there's a time of sanctification, there's part of growth, but then people begin to, get, begin to get hungry, and they begin to think, now Jesus has saved me, what can I do for Jesus? What can I do for Jesus? See, if you came here today, it's not about what the, what the church can do for you. It's really about what you can do for Jesus. Because Jesus has already done for you the most important thing in the world. He's died on the cross. He shed his blood. He rose again to give you the power to do the same. Have everlasting life. So that's already been done. But what now are you going to do for him? What are you doing for him? You know, many a person who comes to church, they get saved. They begin to grow a little bit. But then for some reason or another, they begin to get saved. They begin to soak and then... Instead of serving, which is the next logical step, they begin to sour. And really you have two choices in life. You can sit and serve and start doing things for Jesus who died for you, or you can sit there in the pew and you begin to sour. How do you know you begin to sour? Preacher, that sermon went too long. I was done at 12 o'clock. Man, he was done at 12.01. You done got sour. You done got sour. Preacher, man, you used to be a whole lot better than that. What happened to you? You done got sour. I, I, I ain't getting fed like I used to be. What happened to you? Mm, maybe you got sour. Like milk in that refrigerator. If you leave that joker in there too long, you're going to get sour. You've got to use it up or you'll do this when it's time. Man, you know you shouldn't be doing it, but you do it anyways. And you'll drink a swig of it and it'll be sour. You use it all up before that, before that expiration date. That's why one of the greatest things you can do, friend, is get saved. Be sanctified, begin to grow, and then begin doing something for Jesus. What are you doing for Jesus? The preacher ain't going to do anything. Then you are in danger, friend, of souring. Because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. You know what? You go up down these churches. You know what you find? I guarantee you, you have people sitting in pews and they already got soured. What happens is in a church, we sit and we hear words from the word of God, but we do nothing with it. That'd be like coach in August when we had two days at football said, okay, guys, you got all ready to go. You got your helmet, you got your pads, you got everything on. Now just sit there in the, in the, in the heat in August and enjoy it. We looked at each other about five seconds and said, coach, what type of new method is this? We got to do something. We got to hit each other. We got to get ready. We got to practice. How do we know that? Because September's coming and the games are coming. In the Christian life, dear, you have to do, you have to do more than just get saved. Praise God, that's the beginning. That's the start. You have to do more than just get sanctified. You begin to serve. And he began to serve. He began to be used of God. He began to be used as a missionary and eventually a pastor proclaiming the word of God. And one of his disciples was a man named Timothy. And he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, The things which I have heard of me among many witnesses, the same equipment out of faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He knew his days were numbered. So what did he do? He began to teach another person named Timothy. Because Timothy was faithful. You know the number one thing you have to be as a disciple? You say educated. No. You say uh, has a whole lot of talent, can sing, can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. That helps. But you don't have to do is be a disciple. You have to show up. 
You have to show up. Because you can be educated, smart, walk, talk, do all these things at the same time, sing like a bird. But if you can't show up, dear friend, we can't be used. That's why being a part of a church and showing up is one of the most important things in life. It's showing up, being faithful, showing up, being faithful. And that doesn't apply in church. It implies in your marriage. Men and women, you have to show up emotionally, spiritually. At your work, you have to show up. At your work, be there. What they say? And you know what? It helps be there on time. And same way in the Christian life. Paul was going to teach this person, but Timothy proved himself to be a faithful man. How did Paul become such an faithful, effective pastor? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you, first of all, because Paul had a pastor's head. Now, I'm not talking about that physical head. I'm talking about he had a mind of a pastor. He wanted each church that he founded to stand together and to work together. We see it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What was he saying? We have to come together and minister together. Because unity is important. We read about it in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. And one of the characteristics of the first church was they were unified together. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Jot those, these verses down. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. They gladly received the word, were baptized. That means they were saved and they were baptized. And the same that were added to them by 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? They showed up. They got saved. They got baptized. They showed up. They listened to the apostles' doctrine, their teaching and fellowship and in breaking of bread. And isn't that what we did last week? We got together and we fellowship and broken bread. You say, preacher, what was all that about last week? About Was it just to give Brother George a gift certificate and Brother Berrigan just a gift certificate because they made good food? No, dear friend, that was about unity. That was about fellowship. That was about bringing the church together over some good ribs and some good banana pudding and some other stuff, other sides, and having fun and realizing that we can, Christians can enjoy sweet fellowship with one another. That's what that really was about. That's what, the, that's what the chili cook-off, that's what all these things, that's what more, tomorrow morning, breakfast at 9 o'clock, it's not about just showing up, showing up at 9 o'clock and having breakfast. It's unity. It's unity. That's what Phoebe, once a month, gets together and does. It's about unity, building unity in the church. The Bible says they all believed were together and had all things in common. And they even sold their possessions and goods and parted them all men, everyone that had need. And they continued daily of the one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What did this man with such a great mind realize he needed? He wanted in the church a group of people to stand together, first of all. To stand together. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For there are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by their good words and their fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. He said, even in this church, writing to this church at Rome, he said, hey, there's going to be people among you who don't want to go the way that they should go. They're going to go the opposite way. And you've got to mark them because they're going to hurt other people if you don't. 
And that's true in every, every, every group of people. Paul started out uh, the, the book of 1 Corinthians the same way because the church was divided. Some said, I want to follow Paul. Some said, I want to follow Apollos. Some said, they want to follow Peter. But, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I beseech you, brethren. He said, I beg you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you. It's be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. For it's been declared unto, you, unto me of you, my brethren, that them which are in the house of glory, that there are contentions among you. And now he ended the second epistle with them in a similar plea. He continued teaching them, saying, hey, let's stand together. Let's stand together. Let's be unified in the gospel. Even Jesus, in his priestly prayer, one of his prayers in John chapter 17, verse 20, he prayed, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that all they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and in thee, that they also may be one in us, and the world may believe that thou hast sent me. What was Jesus saying? The three disciples even though they were different. You ever recognize the fact in reading about the, the Gospels that these disciples had to be a little bit different? You got Peter the fisherman, and then you got Matthew, the, 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 basically the accountant. Then you got Judas the money changer. Then you got Simon who was a zealot. I mean, these folks had different personalities. And sometimes you put different personalities in the same small space. They don't always, uh, as they say in the South, jihaw or get along. But you know what? They were one in spirit because they all believed the same person. And in this room, you got all kind of folks. You got folks from way up north and way out west and way down south. And some of you speak different languages and different cultures. How do you get along? Because Christ is central. He's, he, he's, we focus on him. We focus not on our differences, though we are different. We focus on what we have in common. What do we have in common? We have the Lord is our, is in common. We have the word of God in common. We have the Holy Spirit, and he binds us together in love. He wanted them to stand together. But secondly, he wanted them to strive together. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines the word strive as to make an effort, to use exertions, to endeavor with earnestness, to labor hard. He wanted them to work together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which are labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with, with many other lab, fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He wanted them to stand together in unity, but he wanted them to, work, to strive together. That means to work together. You ever tried to go to work with somebody and you just didn't get along with them? Everybody in this room probably been in a job or a situation or maybe in a family where you just, you don't always see eye to eye with a person. And sometimes in that situation you can get, kind of get messed up. But Paul was saying, hey, overlook those things. I mean, there's going to be differences in us all for the cause. The cause is bigger than your feelings. If somebody comes in this morning and they sat in your seat, the cause is bigger than where you used to sit. If somebody fat, sat part in your favorite spot out there under the trees or in the back or back there, you know what? The cause is bigger than your parking place. If somebody didn't shake your hand, who you thought was supposed to shake your hand, the, the cause is bigger than your feelings. If somebody forgot your birthday or someone wore the same shirt you wore for the last two weeks, the cause is bigger than that. The cause of Christ is bigger, dear friend. It's bigger. We need to be on the same page. I learned this week that there's a, 
competition that I didn't even, I didn't even heard of between the state of Iowa and Illinois. It's these 11 different groups to get together to have a tug of war over the Mississippi River. 2,700 feet foot rope weighing 680 pounds is stretched across the river and teams from Illinois and Iowa compete for the ultimate showdown, the epic game of tug and war. Thousands of people line the banks of the river to watch and cheer on their team. Traveling Eagle Trophy and bragging routes is presented to the team that wins. Eleven teams from each state compete for three minutes at a time. Some of these teams get together before the tournament for weeks to compete, to get prepared for this tournament. How do they win? The team that pulls together as one wins the prize. And so it is in your family. And so it is at your work. And so it is in the church. As we pull together and overlook sometimes the differences and ways things people act and ways people background, we go on the, we're on the, recognize we're on the same team and we're unified. We will be successful. Uh, by the way, Illinois leads the competition for all of those of you who are wondering about that. So we need to strive together. We need to stand together. Yes, Paul had a pastor's head, but secondly, Paul had a pastor's heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 28, besides those things without, that which cometh upon me daily, all the care of the churches. Oh, Paul had a great, great opportunity, great responsibility. He wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that you should walk worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and to his glory. And as you read these verses that we read in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, you see his heart, you see his, his tenderness, you see what he was going through. Look, let's look at some of these, these words that we can use to describe uh, the apostle Paul as a pastor. He was a man, first of all, of tears. He was a man of tears. We read in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness to me in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continue sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed. That means not saved. That means not in the book of life. That means on his way to hell. I wish that I were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He said, I'd rather die and go to hell, be accursed than have my brethren the Jews die and go to hell. That's huge. He loved them so much. He says, I care so much for these people. I'd rather perish and be accursed than my brethren the Jews be accursed. I read an interesting biography, brief, about Robbie Murray Machane. He was a Scottish pastor and preacher in the 19th century. He gave his life to serving Christ. But at the age of 29, he succumbed to a typhus epidemic, and on his deathbed he said, I gave everything. I gave my own horse to Christ. I gave my message. I've killed my horse and all the work, and I can no longer deliver the message. He did everything that he could, preaching, trying to reach others with the gospel of Christ, and he wasn't sad for his own demise, his own death, and his own sickness. He was sad that he can no longer proclaim the gospel to someone else. May I ask you, friend, when's the last time you shed a tear for a lost, lost soul? 
When's the last time you you shed a tear, mom, for a son that's on his way to hell? Or for a daughter? For a neighbor? For someone who's going away? When's the last time you shed a tear for that prodigal who you know is going down the wrong path? When's the last time you shed a tear for that person? Oh, dear friend, wouldn't wouldn't you hope if you were going down the wrong way? And dear friend, every one of us are subject to make one bad decision and go the wrong way. There's not a person in this room from this preacher here to anybody in this pew could by one bad day start going down the wrong way. I've seen it. I've seen people from the person in the pulpit to the person in the pew make one bad decision and hardly seem like they'll ever come home. Well, just one bad decision from leaving God and your one bad decision from leaving God. Oh, dear friend, if I was that person who made a horrible decision today, I hope there'd be a group of people who would call me, text me, beg me, come back home. Come back home. Come back home. Oh, Paul had pastor's heart because he was a man of tears, but secondly, he was a man of tenacity. Tenacity can be defined as resolve, persistence, firmness, pursuing a stated goal to the end. He didn't just show up. He did his best. Whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. He wasn't just saying, okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm showing up. No, he wanted to do everything he can with the time that he had to serve God. You see it in his words that through the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, 14. Brother Walker mentioned them last week. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high God of God in Christ Jesus and towards the end of Paul's life he could honestly say that he'd given his all he wasn't stuck in the past you know what happens sometimes a lot of us we get saved but the devil keeps reminding us of our past remember what you did when you were remember what happened when dear friend let me say to you when you when the devil reminds you of your past remind him of his future remind him of his future yes you're going to have memories of times you failed and you faltered the Bible says a just man falls down seven times but rises up again. It's not how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get back up. Get back up. We're sinners saved by grace. Everybody in this room is going to fall down sometimes. We're going to have a, a bad day. We're going to make a bad decision. But I'm so thankful for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be saved and sanctified and victorious, though sometimes we do fall in the Christian life. Paul could have got focused on that time that he was there when Stephen was stoned. The Bible says he was holding her coats, basically giving approval for his martyrdom. But instead of being focused on his failure with, 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 with Stephen, he focused his eyes on Jesus Christ, and he won the crown because he was focused not on his past, but on his future. He could say at the very end in 2 Timothy, writing to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's led it for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them which love his appearing. We could see his heartbeat in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, a lot of things we do in the life is probably in vain. But what you do for Jesus Christ, friend, is not in vain. 
You coming here this morning, showing up, trying to encourage somebody, help somebody, be there for somebody, talk to somebody, love on somebody, be there for somebody. That's not in vain. That's not in vain. Yes, he was a man of tears. Yes, he was tenacity, but not only that, letter C or number three, he was a man of thoroughness, thoroughness, thoroughness. Paul was able to state with confidence that he was thoroughly declared all the counts of God. He wanted the pastors to be trained to do, say, do the same. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to preach. I'm just going to preach on this one topic. No, as a pastor, I am commanded to preach the whole counsel of God. I don't just preach the New Testament. I preach the Old Testament. Hey, I don't just pre preach what I like to preach. Man, I'm preaching Ecclesiastes, and that's hard sometimes. Preach through it all. It's all because it's all the Word of God, and we need it all. Yes, God is progressive, as we've learned in Sunday school and in church, in His Scriptures, but we need to learn it all. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scriptures got inspiration of God. You know what they had at that time? They only had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. Was Paul writing this to Timothy? He was writing about the New Testament, but of course it covers the New Testament as well. All scriptures gone by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. What for? For doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. What was he teaching? The opinions of men? What other people said? No. He was teaching the very words of God. The Bible says the words of God in Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7 are pure words. The silver tried in the furnace, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The very word that you have in front of you today, sitting in your lap, is what God has intended for you to have today. Thank God for it. Jesus said before he went up to heaven, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. So he was a man of tears, a man of thoroughness. He was a man of tenacity, but fourthly, he was a man of teaching. He taught the word of God. It was, it was this focus in life. It wasn't something he just did behind the pulpit. It was his life. It was his life. You know, teaching goes on, of course, at church, goes on in Sunday school. But it should go on in your life as you meet people, as you talk to people, as you sit down to dinner with people. What should be your goal? To teach them, to give them knowledge, to help them, to guide them, to direct them. It's not just for a parent, not just for a grandparent. It's part of our lives. Yes, it's my responsibility. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, a bishop or a pastor must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, getting to hospitality, apt to teach. The Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle towards all men, apt to teach, and be patient. But dear friend, you say, Preacher, I, 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 I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, but what am I supposed to do? Well, read the Word of God and explain what it says. Oh, I, God uses all types of people. He uses the educated, he uses the uneducated. He uses men who are very uh, specific and uh, proficient in their language like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Read a sermon that he, that he preached. Then, he, read, then he, he uses men like D.O. Moody, not very educated. He uses both. You know what the, the, the quality that's the, the same, the common denominator? They wanted to communicate God's truth to other people because they cared. That's the common denominator. I read, and I mentioned this person a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, maybe on Wednesday night, but Nick... Vujicic, V-U-J-I-C-I-C. -I -I Google him or, or, or look at him up on, on uh, YouTube. He was born in Melbourne in, on, in 1982, Melbourne, Australia. He was born without arms and legs due to a rare congenital disorder called Tetra Amelia Syndrome. He has no arms, no legs. 
I, I, I watched a little part of a sermon this morning uh, on YouTube. It was wonderful. You see, a lot, of, a lot of times people come to me with the excuses. Preacher, I can't do that. This man got no arms and legs. And he's scooting around stage with no arms and legs. And he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's your excuse? A man has no arms and legs and he's doing it for the glory of God, not for himself. So that folks could see a man like him and say, if I can do it with no arms and no legs, you can do it. All of us can do it. It's not, it's not if we can. The question is if we will. If we will. Paul had a pastor's head. Paul had a pastor's heart. And as we close this morning, Paul had a pastor's hands. He was willing to lead. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. They came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who pers pers persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposed he had been dead. That stopped a lot of people, stone you. Hey, hey, Paul, I'm going to stone you. Okay, that's enough. I think I'll stay away. I think that's good enough. No. It says in verse 20, How be it, as disciples stood about him, he rose up and came to the city and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when he had preached the gospel to that city, he taught many that returned to Lystra and Iconum and, I, and, I, and Antioch, confirming the souls of disciples, ordering them to continue in faith, that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. When they had ordained elders in every church and prayed with them, fasting, commended them to the Lord of whom they believed. Paul didn't stop with just being stoned. He'd been stoned. We believe, I believe, to death. And he got to go see revelation of heaven and come back. He didn't stop right there. He said, I got to leave these folks. Be easy to say, hey, can I take a rain check and stay for a while? Can I not, can I, you know, I, I, I just got stoned. Can I stay here for a little while and, and recover? No, Paul said supernaturally, of course, by God's help and by God's grace, he got up and he started leading. He started leading. He started leading. We need leaders in families. We need leaders in church who are not just saying, preacher, I'm here. I'm glad you're here, but what are you going to do while you're here? See, see dear friend, if, if you expect just this preacher to do it, this, this church, it won't survive. And thank God it doesn't. It's not just me, it's we. When we got together a bunch of kids who are like five, five years old, five, fifth grade to twelfth grade, and we said, okay, guys, who's going to do this? They said, coach, you're going to you help us? I said, yeah, I'll help you start. But it's not just me, it's we. And as they bought into the concept of all of us doing it, all of us having a part in it, they were successful. You know what? It all starts with having a desire and a want to do more. And Paul was willing to lead him in that. Are you willing to follow in that? Are you willing to say, preacher, what, is, what needs to be done? Oh, friend, I got a list of stuff. Got a list of things that needs to be done and could be done, and how we could reach our community. But you got to have that desire, that want to, that willingness to lead, to to be to follow first, and then to lead others. Second Timothy chapter two verse twelve: The things that I was heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit out of faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. Remember, it goes back to that people showing up and willing to be there. But he goes on. He was not only willing to lead; he was willing to labor. Paul didn't say, "Okay, folks." I want all of us to do it, and y'all go out there and do it. He was willing to say, I'm, I'll lead you, and we're doing this together. We're doing this together. You read about what Paul did in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 18. It'll make your head swim how much stuff he did for Christ, by the grace of God. 
But the Bible says in Acts chapter 28, verse 30, And Paul dwelt two whole years in, in his own hired house, received all that came into him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those with, which concerned the Lord Jesus and with confidence, no man forbidding him. He was getting ready to die for the cause of Christ at the very end of his life. He wanted to go to Rome to make an appeal to Caesar. And even in his, at the end of his life, he was preaching and teaching and helping other people get closer to Jesus Christ. What's the key element in all these things? Yes, he was a man with a great head, a great mind. Yes, he was a man with a great heart. Yes, he was a man who was a leader, who had hands, who wanted them to labor, and he was willing to lead them. But the, two key, the key element is he had love. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, soul, and mind, and he loved other people. And that's what we all need, dear friend. I'm going to tell you how you could be, you could be a success in life. Just choose to love God. Love is... leave you get to leave where nobody nobody has to you choose to and that is what it is in the christian life paul loved god so much for what god has done for him through his son jesus christ and he loved his his people the jews and even the gentiles he was willing to go to them and preach the gospel to them and their lives were changed all because he loved them were they were they love it were they lovable <laughs> they stoned him to death Know that they lovable? Will they love him? They tried to, the Jews got together, they rallied around, they, they, wanted, they wanted to take his life. They hated him. But just like Jesus, just like Jesus, Paul was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus came to those who hated him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And Paul went to his people, the Jews, and eventually to the Gentiles to reach them with the gospel of Christ because he loved God and he loved other people. And those are the elements that's often missing in our life. Great preacher was named D.O. Moody. I mentioned him. Wasn't, didn't have the, the greatest education. You can read, listen to his sermons. You can figure that out. Saved as a young boy by a guy who worked on shoes. But he's had a, he was a Sunday school teacher and he was a shoemaker cobbler they called him back in those days but he cared about young people and he cared about D.O. Moody and won D.O. Moody to Christ and D.O. Moody became a great great preacher there in Chicago of the gospel of Jesus Christ some preachers around him three specifically got a little jealous of the growth at his church the Moody church they came I want to spend a day said they want to spend a day with Moody so they got together and they spent a day with him and after it was all over they saw what they you know how he how he studied and how he taught and the books that he read. He looked at, saw all those things and he made notes because they wanted to be, you know, better and they try to get be hard, try harder or whatever it was to be like D.O. Moody, who was reaching thousands for the gospel of Christ. And at the end of the day, he said, Man, would you come to me to the top of this motel? He said, Look at that window and tell me what you see. And one man said, I see a bunch of children down there. The other man said, I saw, I see, I see some agriculture, I see some flowers and some fields and stuff. And the third man said, what do you see, sir? He said, I see, I see some businessmen walking around. 
And D.L. Moody said, you know what I see? I see thousands upon thousands of people who are dying and going to hell because they know not my Jesus. They know not my Jesus. What do you see when you see people? What do you see when you see that waitress you're going to see in about 30 minutes? What do you see when you see those people at Walmart? What do you see when you see those people down your street? Do you see Democrat? Liberal? Grass too high? Mean? Not friendly? Do you see people different, you? Or do you see a soul? A soul. If that soul's without Jesus Christ is going to be in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. What do you see when you see people? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross so we could have everlasting life. Oh, pray, God, I pray you'd help us to trust you, to know you. And as I prayed before, if there's one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ their Savior, Father, draw them to yourself with head bowed, eyes closed. How be it, friend? We've been talking about salvation. We've been talking about knowing Christ. If you're here today and say, Preacher, I don't really know what that means to be saved. I don't really mean, know what it means to be born again. I don't, I'm not sure if I died today if I would go to heaven, but I want to know. I really do. Head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven, but I really want to go to heaven. I don't understand it, don't understand the Bible, but I know one thing, I don't want to go to hell, and I really want to go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this morning? I really don't want to go to hell. I really want to go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Maybe you're here as a Christian. Maybe, to be honest, you've lost your love. Maybe you lost your love for God. Maybe you lost your, lo your love for other people. It's easy to start griping about other people and their differences and how they're not like you and what you don't like about them. But have you lost your love for folks? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody else? When's the last time you cried for somebody else? When's the last time you tried to help somebody else get closer to Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, the Holy Spirit's convicted me. I lost my love for God and my love for others. Would you pray? Because it's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Would you help by the grace of God? May I choose today to love God and love others more. I've lost it. I've lost it. I used to have it. I used to pass out tracts. I used to care about persons. person. I'd see somebody. I'd go tell them. I haven't done that in a long time. I've lost it. Would you pray for me? I've lost my love for God and others. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest about that this morning? I'm struggling. Would you be honest? Now, God knows. He sees your heart. He sees your hands. I'm struggling with this preacher. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this morning? Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken to your heart, if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ your Savior. If you're a man, brother Travis, I'd love to take the Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. If you're a lady, my wife would love to do the same. If you're here today and you say, hey, I'm struggling in my spiritual life, maybe... It's not your love of God or love for others. Maybe it's some other thing, though those pretty much wrap up a lot of Christian life. Maybe it's some other thing. Maybe there's a, 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 a hobby or habit or problem you're involved in that you're, that's really, you, you know you're going down the wrong road. Maybe you are that prodigal, but somebody brought you to church this morning. 
Maybe you're, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing with people you shouldn't be doing them with. Maybe it's, top, it's time to stop that. Maybe God will help you today by you just making a decision. Maybe you just need to step out where you're at and come to this old altar and say, I'm tired of that. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going down that road. Whatever it is, as the piano plays this morning, would you do business with God? Would you listen to the Holy Spirit? As He leads you, as He guides you, whatever He's trying to get you to do today, love Him more, love the lost more, be more tender to His Word, be more tender towards other people, the needs that they have. How about you today, friend? What's that need that you have? Amen. You may be seated. So thankful today that Kirk and Jody's come for membership at North Gainesville Baptist Church. I met with them, and they shared their testimony of salvation and baptism. They read the church bylaws, and they agreed to them. So today, we'd like to present to you Jody and Kirk as members of North Gainesville Baptist Church. All those in favor, say amen. amen. All those opposed, like sign. Well, we're going to have a word of prayer. Brother Travis is a close in a word of prayer. And after he closes in a word of prayer, let me encourage you to come by and give him the right hand of fellowship. Brother Travis. 